Today, Walden University's Center for Faculty Excellence presents Dr. Donna Passaro speaking with us about her research on social isolation in being a remote worker and also remedies to this dilemma. Let's tune in now. We're gonna look at the loneliness epidemic, loneliness in the remote worker, benefits, struggles of working remotely, types of isolation. Surprisingly, there's different categories and types of isolation, so we're gonna review that. Then we're gonna look at what we can do because we know that's a problem. It's been studied and researched that it is a problem working remotely and feeling lonely. So we've, we've isolated the problem. Now let's look at what we can do to address the problem. Sigma partnered with ISPAS to conduct a survey of 20,000 individuals, 18 years and older, and they used the Sigma Loneliness Index, which is a 20 question survey, and it was based on the UCLA's loneliness scale. And what they found, which I was very surprised, is that loneliness has the same impact on mortality as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. And this makes it even more dangerous than obesity. And I found that pretty staggering that loneliness can have such a physical impact on our bodies. Now, just because we're alone and working remote doesn't necessarily mean that we're lonely. Being alone and loneliness are two different concepts. So what they also found, as you can see, um, as we have 46%, sometimes or always feel alone. 47% from the study sometimes or always feel left out. And then we have 43%, they're sometimes or always feeling isolated from others. Loneliness is definitely an epidemic. The formula behind the index for the results that I just gave you, it, it comes from deriving a score for each respondent based on answers to a series of 20 statements, and then they calculate a total mean score for everybody who completed the survey to get the national score. The index, the index stipulates that the higher the score, the higher the, the score we see between 20 to 80, the higher the score, the lonelier people are. And since the range is from 20 to 80 in this index, we have America reaching 44. The score was 44. This, which means that that's pretty, pretty high when you're looking at the average loneliness. But the same survey, and I found this very, very interesting, and I, and I hope you will as well. The same survey looked at which generation may be lonelier. And I had my thoughts on this. Um, just from some research that I had done, and I was pretty surprised. It says that the younger generations are actually lonelier than the older generations. And of course, I thought this was perhaps due to social media use um, and found out that I was wrong yet again on that area. What they found was that Generation Z, which is 18 to 22 year olds, that is the loneliest generation. And that generation also in this survey claimed to be in worse health than older generations. And as I said, social media use alone was not a predictor of loneliness in this index. Uh, it was respondents were defined as very heavy, user, heavy users of social media. They have a loneliness score of 43.5. And that's not markedly different from the score of those who never use social media at 41.7. So I, I was pretty surprised because I always equated social media use and, and perhaps loneliness um, and doing some research, I found that not to be the case. 
But as you can imagine, people who have daily interactions, they will have the lowest loneliness score. If we have the daily interaction, their loneliness score was 39.6. Those who never have any daily interaction, their loneliness score was at 59.6. As we continue to look at this epidemic, we're going to re review the connection between loneliness and mortality. As I said at the beginning, which was really staggering, um, the connection between loneliness and premature mortality exceeds that of obesity and physical activity. And 50% of people are more likely to live longer if they're socially connected. And some of this information comes from a 2010 meta-analysis. There were 148 studies with over 300,000 participants, and they found that individuals with these strong relationships were 50% more likely to survive, to, survive, uh, to survive longer than those who were isolated. So let's look at the loneliness epidemic and how this might relate to remote workers. When doing research for this particular presentation and this topic, I found that there is a state of work report. And this is an annual report compiled by Buffer. In the state of the remote work report from 2018, 21% of remote workers noted that loneliness was among the top problem with working remotely. Then when they did this report in 2019, they noted that 22% have trouble unplugging after work and 19% have trouble with loneliness. And the trouble unplugging was not an option in the 2018 um, survey that they conducted. It's important to note that there were social beings. We have a human need to be connected to other people. There is evidence that is overwhelming to show that social isolation and loneliness can increase the risk for premature mortality and the magnitude of the risk exceeds that of many leading health indicators. Now we're going to look at, it's not all gloom and doom. I want to talk about some of the benefits of working remotely because I've been working for remote, I've been working remotely for 20 plus years and there are a ton of benefits. If it's flexible schedule, working from any location, you have time with family, working from home. These are some really good benefits. And Griffs notes that in the state of re remote work report from 2018, there were 1,900 employees surveyed around the globe and 43% they said that the flexible schedule was the number one benefit. And this is then followed by time with family, travel. And I do agree that the largest benefit for, for myself as a remote worker is the flexibility. Um, but there's, we have to be careful because we are often so grateful that we're working from home and we have all this flexibility that we may feel indebted to our employer and then we can burn out. And that's something we wanna to try to avoid. We have to be able to balance our work and home lives so we can continue to be productive, but be mentally and physically healthy. And then in 2019, Buffer did this um, annual report again and they surveyed 2,500 employees around the globe. And the biggest benefit was the same from 2019 to 2018, the flexibility. Now we know there's, we've discussed the benefits, but there's, there's, also, there's also some downsides. It, as much as I love working from home, there are some downsides. And one of those is unplugging after work, the other loneliness. 
We also have distractions at home. We're in different time zones than a lot of our teammates. Um, staying motivated can be difficult when we're working remotely. Taking time off. There's, there are some downsides. With all the benefits, there's downsides. But for the purposes of our discussion today, we're just gonna focus on loneliness and social isolation. And there are four types of isolation that I wanna quickly review before we go into the remote worker and social isolation. We have resource isolation, opportunity isolation, development isolation, and social isolation. Resource isolation is if, if we're in, a, in an office, we can just run down the hall to another department and we can talk with a coworker and see if they're having the same issue. Um, we can also have like the, the coffee time together or the water cooler talks. Um, and we don't have that when we're working remotely. But what we could do as a remote worker, we could see if we can get some of these resources digitized. Because if we can get processes, records, supplies, put them in a cloud-based environment, then we can have the same resources as if we had a partner down the hall. Um, another type of isolation, opportunity isolation. Uh, without the visibility of being in the building with managers and and uh, other people in our field, it's kind of hard to be considered for promotions. It's hard to stand out when you're not seeing someone on a regular basis. So we have to, as a remote worker, we need to make ourselves visible. We need to engage in company projects, initiatives, volunteer where we can so that we can be known by our work and people start to see us almost as if we're in the office with them. Another type of isolation is development isolation. When we're in a workforce, it allows us to continually compare output. We look at goals, we look at future growth. It's, and we're able to kind of sit back and observe also what's happening around us. When, working, when we work independently, we're, we're more focused on our own productivity. Um, so we don't wanna be stagnant in that. In order to not be stagnant, we need to gain more, more visibility to observe growth opportunities and build a network. Um, also ask questions, be engaged, be involved, so that we're, we're seeing, heard, and developing at the same time. Social isolation is the type of, that we're gonna focus on as this is a concern for many remote workers. Social isolation, this talks, this is really the absence of social contact, contact and it can lead to loneliness. It's a state of being cut off from normal physical social networks. The research we've reviewed shows we're not alone in feeling socially isolated. It's a common occurrence among remote workers. It's just, I think that's a really important point is that we are not alone in this. And I find comfort in knowing we're not alone in being so socially isolated because that means there's hope. I'm not the only one feeling this way, so there's others that are working towards solutions to this concern. But there's things that we personally can do to combat social isolation, but we have to take the steps. We have to be, we have to engage with others and be intentional in our behavior. So what are some things we can do? We can pair up with a coworker, join an online community, engage in a coffee clutch. We can get out, we can work in public, find a co-work space, join or start a book club. And again, be intentional. So I'm gonna go over each one of these in a little, little more detail. To pair up with a coworker, we can ask others to join us in an initiative. We can talk with a manager about some things that may be going on that we can get engaged in so that we can be connected with other people. 
we can even create an, an initiative. Um, and that's something we'll talk about in a little bit as well. If we want to become involved and, and we see a need, we can create a group to meet that need and that helps us to become less isolated. Another thing we can do is we can join an online community. And while this is still where we're doing this as an individual, when you join that group, it helps us to feel more connected. Um, Digital Nomad Girls, that's a, a really interesting group. This is a, a network generally meant for women. It was, it was a community that was founded on Facebook and it got so large that they created um, an official website. The community and the entire idea can be interpreted as a motivational page for developing and encouraging strong independent women. Um, another is Hello Remote. That's an option. The Remote Workers. Digital Nomad um, subreddit. Reddit is another option. Reddit's a well-known discussion platform, but it can also serve the purpose of a community for digital nomads because that's what they're calling remote workers now are digital nomads. Um, the Nomad List Chat is another option. This is a special community of nomads in a form of a chat. The chat is it's location based and it gives you a convenient way to connect with lots of different people working all around the world. Um, in order to start chatting and connecting, there's a registration and a membership fee, but it is an option that's out there. Another big group is we the We Work Remotely community, and this is also chat based. And what I find what I like about these communities is that again, it shows we're not alone because we have other people experiencing the same concerns that we're experiencing. Another option that we have is um, Walden has Yammer and they use this as a way to connect individuals within our organization. There are specific groups and we may even want to consider adding a remote workers group and that way all the remote workers can come together in that platform. Another thing that can be done is to start or join a coffee clutch. Um, I, as a remote worker, I started an initiative to have an online coffee clutch meeting where my coworkers and I get together twice a month on the first and third Thursdays. We get together for about an, an hour and we just connect with one another. We talk about families. Any topic is, is open for discussion. We can talk about work, um, but what we find is we usually end up talking about families, the latest book, the latest research, we connect through a Skype application and it helps us feel connected and remember that we're not, we're not out here working alone. There are others who are with us. Another thing we can do is we can get out. We can walk the dog, we can walk around the neighborhood, go to the post office, go for coffee, walk to the mailbox. Um, I did not have a dog, so I went and got a dog so that I could get out and walk. So I would get up and be moving around because it's very easy to sit at your desk and not get up and move. And even something as small as walking to the mailbox and maybe talking to a neighbor for five minutes, that helps us not feel so isolated or alone in our environment. Um, I will say that when we do this, if we walk the dog or go talk to the neighbor, we need to set a time limit on that because it can be very easy to get distracted and be out there for 30 minutes versus the five that we had intended. So we just need to be mindful of how long we're actually engaging in that activity. Another option is we can work in public. You have McDonald's, Starbucks, Wi-Fi cafe, just be taking our computer and being out where there are other people is another reminder that 
we're not in this world alone. Um, and for some that might be distracting, so you might that might not work for you, but for others that might be just the pulse of an environment that you need to recharge. An additional option would be co-working space. There's a couple of different sites, and I'm sure there's, there's many more, but some that I found that stood out to me were Spaces, City Feet, and Coworker. Spaces was interesting because you can go to spaces, spaceworks, spacesworks.com and you can put in your location and you can find a co-working space that you can rent. Another option was cityfeet.com. Same concept here. I live in the Pensacola area, so I just did a real quick search. And some people are actually renting out a space in their home. They're renting out office space in their home, which allows you to work with near someone else. Um, others rent whole floors, whole buildings. That's just, that's whatever option is going to work best for you. But that allows you to get out and be around others and not feel quite so isolated. Coworker is another one. Again, you can, this one is international. It's coworker.com. You can search country, state, city, um, same concept to kind of find a co-working space that might work for you. Another option is to start a book club or join a book club. Um, an option is to go to, there's online book clubs too, which I thought was really great. Um, onlinebookclub.org, that's a good place if you want to join an online book club. But you may actually want physical contact with people, and you may start a book club with your coworkers. You may start one up with your neighbors. Again, we have to be intentional about our behaviors. What our, whatever our interests are that's going to help us connect with other people, then we can either go join something or start something. It's up to us. But you need to schedule your time for your interaction. As I said, like if you're walking the dog or you go talk to your neighbor, you need to have a scheduled time for that so that you don't get lost in that time that was only supposed to be a few minutes. Um, I set reminders on my phone and this helps me to not take that 30 minutes when I should only be taking five or 10. Um, the reminders help a lot. Um, and one thing I think we need to ask ourselves is do we have time? Because so often, myself included, my excuse is I do not have time for that. I don't have time to interact. Uh, my biggest thing was I don't have time to go to the gym because I didn't really want to, but I felt I needed to. So I kept saying, oh, I don't have time. I don't have time. So what I did for myself, and I want to share with you today, is I did an assessment of how busy am I really. So for those that are listening, I'd like you to take a minute, grab a piece of paper and a pen, because I'm going to ask you to write down where you spend your time. We're going to write down our working hours, sleeping hours, our personal hours. We're going to take a look at those so that we can see how much time do we have. Okay, so just how busy are we really? Let's look and see. So write down the amount of time that you spend, the number of hours per week that you spend working. And then I want you to write down the number of hours that you spend sleeping. And then write down your personal hours. And personal hours is like running errands, doctors, shuffling kids here and there, um, just things that are for your own personal time. 
Okay, so I'll say my working hours are approximately 50 a week, sleeping hours 56, and for personal hours, that's doctor's appointments, shopping, again, shuttling a child back and forth, um, about 21 hours. Now, I want you to add up the total number of hours that you have listed there. My total number of hours with 50 working, 56 sleeping, and 21 personal is 127. I want you to subtract the total hours allocated from the total number of available hours in a week. The total number of available hours in one week is 168. So we're going to subtract whatever your total was of your working, sleeping, and personal from that 168. Since my total hours allocated was 127, I still have 41 hours left over every week. That's with getting a good amount of sleep, doing at least 50 hours of work a week, doing all my errands. I still have 41 hours left over. Let me tell you, no one was as shocked as I was, but now I, I just kind of felt like, oh, I have 41 hours. I guess I can't say that I don't have time to go to the gym. <laughs> so I ended up, once I did this assessment of my time, I ended up, here's my hours left over. I have 41 hours left over. That still gives me time to add three movies a week at two hours. I can add family time. I can do an hour five days a week. It gave me time. If I use that time, even after I have those 41 hours left over, six hours for movies, 10 hours for family time, five hours for exercise, I even have five hours to start a new hobby, which I thought was astounding. Even after all of that, I still have 15 hours left over that aren't allocated. I was amazed at how much time I really have when I sit down and I actually look at it. But in order to have this time, I have to be intentional about how I spend it, where I spend it, and how I prioritize it in order to have this leftover time. We're all busy, but I really believe that with a few task management tools, we can accomplish the things that need to get done and still have the, th the time for the things that we want to get done. And there you have it. If you didn't catch how to determine your free hours, rewind this back so that you can best determine how to utilize your time and maybe even squeeze in more My Faculty Podcasts. Until next time.